The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Sup, church? How we doing? If you would, guys, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, stick a hand up nice and high and we'll make sure that you get one. Um, good to be back with you guys. <clears throat> had a uh, little bit of a surprise last week. I, I had some... Uh, um, Man, like really sharp pain, like right in that kind of area right there. And so I went on WebMD and discovered that I'm dying and um, of a whole litany of things. And, um, but no, I just kind of kept going. We even went and got the trees and it just kept getting worse. And so I literally on uh, Saturday morning drove myself to the emergency room because I was like, well, it's uh, gallbladder surgery. That's the area. My daughter's had it. My wife, like this is going to be what it is. So I told my wife, I was like, you know, just stay in bed. I'll go get the preliminary work done. Guess I'm having surgery today. So she rolled over and went back to sleep. And um, <laughs> it's kind of true. But um, anyway, um, no, it turned out that uh, I had pneumonia as it turned out, which actually was a little bit of a relief, not just to not have surgery, but like I had been so sick all, all this fall. And I just was like, man, what is the deal? Am I like the least healthy guy in the valley? What is going on? But it just, I had not kicked it and it got into my lungs and ugh, so pneumonia, yay. But uh, antibiotics, so I'm doing great. So it's good to be back with you. And thank you, Jeremy, for filling in for us uh, last week on last second notice. And it works out good because now he was actually going to be teaching today and I was going to teach last week. So now we have switched and it turns out I'm like, oh, awesome, because I get to talk about fishing. So score. So, um. A couple of announcements really quickly. Um, the uh, Foster the Love holiday gift program, if you got one of those tags for the gifts for the orphans, we need you to bring those back next week. I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, but orphans might cry. So please don't forget, right? Don't break a kid's heart. Bring the gift back. That's terrible. And then um, also holiday food basket ministry. Just um, reminding you, um, it, you should have gotten this sheet right here when you came in. Like, please take this seriously. Like really, um, I mean, we can, we can do gifts and give them to different organizations and do all of that. And that's fine. And it's good for us to be people who give, but we really want to look for opportunities to make significant and personal connections. So if you guys would honestly like take this and sit down as you're having lunch today, sit down with your family, talk to the kids, like where, where are their friends? What are the circles you walk in? What are the, um, the things that you do, the places you hang out and really think about, Hey, are there families out there that we can really make a significant impact for the gospel and, and a personal connection to be able to do this? Again, we're operating or, or partnering with Safeway in this. So again, as you go to, um, Safeway at the Medford center, um, make sure you let those guys know that we're partnering with them in that and encourage them. It's a great opportunity for us to continue to encourage uh, someone here in the valley. Um, but please help us do this. This is way more impactful when it's someone that we have relationship with. Okay. Amen. All right. So that's enough of that. Um, we've already had a lot of up, down, up, down communion, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to spare you guys today. I'm not going to make you stand while we read the word of God. Um, but we're going to read Luke chapter five and we're going to be starting in verse one and going through verse 11. And the word of God says this, verse one, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to open your word. But we pray, God, that your spirit would now begin to move and you would teach us and instruct us. I pray, God, you would eliminate distractions and give us, Lord, the ability to to lean in, to receive what you have for us. I pray, God, this would be a from now on moment. That that there would be things in our lives that from now on are eternally changed because the living, breathing word of God um, has been received by your people and empowered by your spirit that we might live a life, Lord, that honors you and that reflects you to the world around us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name. All God's people said. Amen. All right, guys, this is an exciting text. This is a big deal, this particular passage. This is a life-changing moment for these guys. This is Simon Peter, also known as Peter, um, and his associates, James and John. Everything's going to change from them for this moment on. From the moment of this story, everything, like nothing's the same ever again. Everything's different to the degree that eventually they will give their lives for this man. It's a crossroads moment that they've been led to. Now, we want to study the word and understand it in its historical context. We understand that these are real stories that happen to real people in real places. But we also understand that the same spirit that was involved in these things happening is the one who inspired these words for our benefit and instruction. So we're not just taking in a history lesson. There's some form of application for us. And so maybe there's a question I can just lay out there to have in the background of our minds as we're studying this this morning. Let me say it this way. What, if anything, has happened to us in this matter of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ? Just have that question just floating around the background. What, if anything has happened to us, to you, to me, in our lives with regards to this idea of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Mirrored in the experience of these men, has this happened to me? Maybe that's the question we should have. Because the Christian life is supposed to be a Christian life, a, a, a life of new beginnings. It's a new life, it's a new Lord, it's new affections, it's new desires, it's new uh, mercies. It's a, it's a completely new experience, but the result of the Christian life is supposed to be that our lives are never the same again once that occurs. It's a crossroads moment where everything changes. And so this verse is going to represent that, but it presents a whole other really important question. It, it provides a specific challenge, especially to those of us that somehow think from time to time that we can compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus. It, a lot of us think that way. Most of us would never say that, um, but we might live in that way. So I'll give you, give you guys an example. So we're going to, get to talk about fishing. Um, I don't know if you know this. I like to fish. Every once in a while. I know it's a shocker, but I do. And, um, and I've, I've had this weird opportunity that's come up as, as me and a couple of friends have, have kind of learned to uh, fly fish a lot of the waters around here where these different companies will send me gear to wear and to represent them and, and put me on their ambassador program. So like the shirt that I'm wearing today and, and hats and hoodies and things like that. Stickers for your car. Like they'll just send stuff all the time and discount codes. And, and what they expect is that when we go out fishing, we take a whole lot of pictures with their gear and then we'll spread it out over time. So if I go fishing on a Monday, throughout the rest of that week, we're just posting these photos or sending them directly to them. And that's how you are, if you will, an ambassador for this company. But here's what happens. I might go out fishing one time and maybe I'm wearing a hat for this company, Steelhead Gear, and I'm wearing a hat that Alex up in Salem sent me and I'm representing those guys and I love all that stuff. But now the next time I go out, I might be thinking, and I wore that hat last time. And man, Keith has been hooking me up with these rods from Jefferson Fly Company. This is all a commercial. And, um, and I'm, maybe I should wear a different hat this time. And so now I'm going to switch hats. And now I'm representing someone else. We've even, shamefully enough, when we haven't gotten to fish for periods of time, we've actually caught fish, taken a photo, switched hats, taken another photo, sent the pictures to two different people. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because, because here's the deal. In this moment, I'm representing this one company. 
And then I take that hat off and they don't factor in anymore. Now I'm putting another hat on and I'm an ambassador for a different company. And some people do that with Christ. Some people think, well, it's Sunday. It's church day. So I'll put the Jesus hat on. I'm representing Christ. It's the holidays. We're going to go buy some gifts for kids. That's Jesus stuff. Um, it's Wednesday night. It's Awanas. It's men's Bible study. It's a retreat. It's the, the, the Jesus hat stuff. And then you go to work the next day at the job site or as a real estate agent or whatever it is you go, well, I got this. I got this. I mean, this is where um, I kind of take things on my own here. And so I'll, I'll take the Jesus hat off and set that aside. And, and I'm in control of these areas of life. That's what's referred to as compartmentalizing. I'll, I'll keep Jesus over here in these areas. And I'll keep these things over here under my control. And we'll just make them all kind of work together. And in that way, Jesus is a really beneficial, really important thing. But he's an add-on to my life. And and. Christ has not come to be just another hat that we wear. Christ has come to be in the hotel rooms with us while we travel. To be on the couch next to us as we watch the movie. To be, um, if you will, on the stool next to us as we're with the, at the pub with the boys. To be in the workplace, to be in the hobby, to be on the sports field. There is not one square inch of this earth or of our lives that Christ does not rule and reign over. And we can fool ourselves into thinking we've got things all separated out, but that's not reality. Christ demands differently. And this text is going to show us this. Now, I want to consider the context of this. Can you put up the picture of the synagogue that I've got here? <clears throat> If you ever go with us to Israel, um, you're going to get to go to this place. This is on the Sea of Galilee, which is the other name for this Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same place, Sea of Galilee. And on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, um, there's this area called Capernaum. In Capernaum is this synagogue. Jesus Christ taught here. Now, this is a rebuild on top of the original foundation that Jesus would have actually walked on, but this is it. This is the synagogue. And right there in that area is a small little fishing village. All of these houses, tiny, mostly little one-room things, they're just all packed right around this small little fishing community right there on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And you'll go there, you get to see these places, we take all this stuff in, then you get back on the bus, and it's not a five-minute drive over to the next area. You hop on a boat, and you actually go out onto the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's what's important contextually, something for us to keep in the back of the mind as we start this text. If you'll look just to the left in chapter 4 of the book of Luke, look at verse 21. It says this, in the synagogue, what did Jesus say? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You guys remember that story? Jesus comes into the synagogue, he opens up the book of Isaiah. It's all about the Messiah, about this king deliverer who was to come. And he reads this text and he goes, today, this has been accomplished, fulfilled here in your midst. Now, the people in these areas, they've heard these texts before. They're used to going into the synagogue. They're used to hearing these sermons. They are not used to experiencing the very fulfillment of these prophetic passages right there in front of them. But for Christ and for Luke, as he writes this book on into the book of Acts, everything changes. So in our text, in chapter 5, for example, verse 1, the first verse says, on one occasion. Some translations will say, on some day or on one day. That day has to be taken inside the understanding that it is one day that has happened after that day. So Christ has come. He has declared who he is. He has declared his lordship. He has declared he is the promised Messiah. And now everything that takes place after that day is a fulfillment of that. It's fleshing that out. He's accomplishing the mission that was in Isaiah, the mission that he reads in that text. Everything that happens. We just saw last week in the text that there was healings that were taking place. There were all of these things. But they are all designed to illustrate, show, and prove that that's him. And so from that day, everything changed at that point. And so Luke's going to share with us from this point forward in that idea. So in verse 1 it says, And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people by the boat. Now, this area is a very lush, very fertile, very, um, it's a fishing hot spot. It's really green. Can you put the, uh, not the boat, the other one. There, There we go. So this is from the Sea of Galilee, looking at those hills, that community, that same area that we were just looking at just a few minutes ago. This is where Christ would have been. So these are the hills that he's teaching on. And it says that um, things begin to kind of get really tight and it, it became, people are coming. And, and first of all, let's point out something. All of this starts, how? Hearing the word of God. The word of God is being taught. Jesus is teaching the word of God. People are coming and they're pressing in to hear the word of God. And so as they come and it starts to get tight and they're pushing him back and now the waves are lapping at his feet and there's not a lot of room, Jesus begins to get actually quite intensely practical about what he's doing. Um, as a speaker, as a public speaker, he's aware of what's going on in front of him, as most good speakers are, and he's, he's considering these things as he teaches. I, I do the exact same thing. You, you may not know this, but like I notice everything when I'm in here. I have seen couples fight while I teach. I have seen people take naps while I teach. I see a couple right now. Like I've seen these things. And here's what will end up happening. Um, and, and I'll use this as an example. I totally used this as an example last service, talking about someone getting up in the service, which really doesn't bother me. And then someone had to do it, and they sent me a message after. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> but um, so let, let's say you're here preaching, and you've got your outline done, and you're doing your message, and all this stuff happens. What tends to happen with, with some people, me especially, is I'm, I'm talking over here. I'm preaching over here. But in my mind, there's a whole other thing going on at the exact same time. If you've ever wondered, what is Jeff talking about? It seems like he's completely lost track. This is why. Because in my mind, I'll be going, why are they getting up? What did I say? Did I offend them? Did I say something wrong? Are they new? What if they're new? Oh my goodness, I don't want to offend somebody new. They don't even understand necessarily the context of what I'm talking about. And I don't even remember what I was just talking about. And he's asleep, so at least he's safe. And I don't know what, and it's just like squirrels. You know what I mean? Just ah, all this kind of stuff. And you're sitting out there like he has totally lost his point. And you're thinking it right now. And you're probably true. But here, here's what actually happens. So you see Jesus taking these practical steps. And it's just, it's just practically noticeable that he's like, okay, I'm, the teaching of the word of God is important. And so I want to take some steps to be practical, to, to deal with this. So he hops on this boat. Can we take a, can get the picture of the boat up here? This is a first century fishing boat. This, this was discovered not all that long ago. One of the other many, many archaeological finds that always gets found to prove the Bible's real. Um, this, the metal frame there is not part of the boat, just in case you're wondering. They're just holding it together. Um, but this, you see this before you get on the boat there at the Sea of Galilee, before we go out and do the, the tours out there. Um, this is the kind of fishing boat that would have been sitting right there on the shore. This is the kind of boat that Jesus would have got in and pushed out to sea. And so if you imagine that picture from before, you've got this hillside there. You've got water, which makes for a really good acoustical effect. I don't know if you guys have ever been out on the water before, but like you can hear people having conversations from way farther away than they think they, you can hear them. And I've heard doozy conversations before out there. But, um, but so this is what's happened. So Jesus goes out there and he makes these practical steps to be able to, to kind of preach the word of God um, effectively. And, and just to keep you guys kind of in the loop, like we, we actually try to do that even still to this day. Um, there, there's, there's a reason to be pragmatic at times. And I'll give you an example. Um, at our staff meeting just this week, um, we had a long conversation with our staff about like, what do we do with announcements? I don't know if you guys know this. I hate making announcements. I can't stand it. Now it's important we want you guys to know what's going on. We want to be able to get word out there. But what ends up happening is we have worship or communion and worship. And we have this kind of experience and we're just there worshiping, serving God. And it's almost like you're on this high, if I can use it that way, like spiritual high kind of a thing. And then it's like, oh, let's talk about what's going on, all this kind of stuff. And you make sure you get there and get your kids signed up. And I messed that one up and all this kind of stuff. And now, now we got to get back up and start preaching the word of God. And you start going... And a couple of weeks ago, there were big things going on, but there were like four different ones in a video. And it was like 15 minutes of talking about this. And so we're like, what's, what's the most important thing that we do? Like, what's our mission? What is it we're supposed to do? And so we still wrestle with this. We're like, okay, while we're dealing with this, for sure, right now, new rule, only two. So if you ever get cut, I'm sorry. But <laughs> our mission is this. 
The most important thing we do is worship the Lord and preach the word of God because the word of God is where it all starts. Like it's important. And so even Jesus here we see is being pragmatic, going, the preaching of the word of God is important. How can I do this in a way that's most effective so that the people can hear and understand because God's word matters. So he gets out on this boat, pushes off to the shore, and he begins to teach. He finishes his teaching, and then like any godly person, he goes fishing. Take what it says in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And what's the reaction of Peter? I know you know this, many of you, because you've heard this story, but I want you to really notice something here. Something that surprised me. Verse 5. And Simon, or Peter, same guy, Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now I want you to notice really closely, this is important, two aspects of Peter's response. The first response, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Notice something, speaking about compartmentalizing, Peter had no qualms about using the boat when it was a pulpit. But when it went back to being a fishing boat, he had things to say. When it was just a pulpit, do what you want. But now let's go back and fish. Hold on, hold on. Look, I've done this. I know what I'm doing here. Let's take the one hat off. I'm going to put my fishing hat on. And let me just tell you, Jesus, that's a waste of time. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. I am the captain now. Captain Phillips, anybody catch that? No? Anyway, Tom Hanks. Good movie. I know what I'm doing, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. If I need a table, we'll chat. But this is my realm. This is what I know. This is what I know how to do. This is what he's doing. Jesus, look, Sunday mornings, all that kind of stuff, that's great. But look, we're talking about real estate now. You don't factor into the same degree. But I'll tell you what, when I need relationship advice... Or when I'm hit with tragedy. Or when I'm not sure what to do with my kids. That kind of personal kind of feeling stuff. That's Jesus territory. We'll put that hat on. But right now, I'm going to compartmentalize. I'm going to set you over here. And your word doesn't necessarily fit here. Ever done that? We wouldn't say it, but done it? That's what I'm talking about. Compartmentalizing. Jesus didn't come to be another hat. And this is what he's doing here. And now look, I, I gotta, I'll stand up for Peter here. I'm a fisherman. Like, I get it. Jesus is doing everything wrong, just so you know. He's doing everything wrong. He is fishing at the wrong time of day. He's fishing in way too deep of water to be using nets. He's doing everything wrong. Time of day with the sun up there, it's a waste of time. And even as I was learning to fish, I can remember, like, I'll go to the river now, for example, to go steelhead fishing, and I'll see people in places that I used to fish all the time, and I'll see them, and I'll be like, that guy has no shot at catching a steelhead in that spot. They just don't hold in that kind of water. But I had to learn that over time. He'll figure it out on his own, too. I'm going to go to the spot that actually works. Like, that's kind of how I will look at that sometimes. And we as fishermen, we start learning these things. We know what we're doing. This is our territory. This is, I'm an expert in this. I know what I'm supposed to do. And then even as a fisherman, if someone wants to go out, at a certain point when you learn how the whole thing works, there's certain scenarios that you go, going right now, it's kind of a waste of time. Like, we have no shot at catching. The flows went up today. That will take all the fish off the bite. The flows are too high to even set anchor right now, and it's raining, so it's probably blown out. And if the water's muddy, they're not going to see anything. And so you can see certain scenarios. And, oh, it's a full moon. The moon matters. There's, like, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so there will be times, and I know people will go, oh, but a bad day fishing's better than a No, it's not true. Anyone that actually catches fish is like, it's a waste of time. I'm not going to go. I will hedge my bets on a better time. And so that's what Peter's doing. I know this world, Jesus. I know how to do this. I'll take care of all this. I've been here. Jesus, you don't understand. We know what we're doing. This is a bad idea. We were out on the, at the best time, in the best place, doing exactly what we knew, and we caught nothing. I know what I'm doing. However, let's give Peter a little bit of credit here. We love to beat up on him because he makes us feel good about ourselves, right? But notice, he does make that transition. And look what he says specifically. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, 
your Bible heading might say something like over this, something to the degree of Jesus calls his first disciples. Followers of Jesus, right? A lot of yours say that. Mine says that too. Listen, this is Christian Discipleship 101. At your word, I will. We are people of the book. And when Christ speaks, we move. That's what a disciple does. A disciple honors God's word, values God's word, and banks everything on it. Banks everything on his word. I'll give you an example. How do you know there's a heaven? Christ's word. How do you know you're forgiven? Christ's word. We bank everything on the word of God. And so Peter, to his credit, nope, 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 but because you said so, I'll go do this. And, and please understand here, this is not a simple thing. Like, there's going to be a lot of work involved. There's, uh, this is not just as simple as, hey, we're out here, throw the line in, let's see how it goes. It's way more complicated than that. So, for example, hey, throw your nets over here for a catch. What's he been doing all morning? Cleaning nets. So now, all this work that he's been doing is going to be undone. They're going to take these nets that he spent all morning cleaning, we're going to throw them back in the water and get them all dirty again. There's effort involved here. It's not going to be convenient. It's not great timing. It's going to be a lot of work. Following Jesus is usually going to mean work. Following Jesus is not always convenient. Sometimes there's sacrifices involved and effort involved, and there's things we miss. We don't go to that because we wanted to gather with the people of God. We don't buy that because we wanted to invest in this area of the kingdom. There's things that we give up on because we know that the greater call on our life is to be with Christ. So right now, there's football fans in this room that are missing the early football games, and they're doing it willingly because they want to follow Christ. And to them, it's more important to be in the family of God, worshiping and studying his word, than watching a football game. rest of the world may not get that. Disciples make sense. So it's not easy all the time to be a committed follower of Christ. In fact, it's usually the hard way. And the other thing is this. It's going to demand the involvement of other people. So if you... Make that leap and you say, man, I am all in. I'm going to be a committed follower of Christ. It's going to affect the people around you. You've got Peter, you've got James, John, you've got the other employees that are there. It says to us that there are other people around as well beyond just those three. There's going to be effect on the people around you. We don't operate in a vacuum. And then the other thing is, I mean, Peter's got an audience now. This is a great opportunity to get embarrassed. And just so you know, fishermen never like to admit that we didn't catch anything. And if we, if we didn't, there's reasons. We got to come up with all our excuses. Hey, how did the fishing go? Well, there was, you know, it was like, because it's never our fault. It's always something else. It's like the tennis player that misses a shot and keeps looking at his racket. You know what I mean? You swung that thing, man. What are you staring at it for? Look at your hand instead or something. But, um, but this is kind of the thing. So think about it. He's got all these people on the hill. He's got Jesus here. He's got the other fishing boats there. Um, following Christ tends to put you in positions where you might risk embarrassment. Or at least failure in the eyes of the world. This is not just as simple as, well, we're out here, let's just throw out the net. There's a lot involved here. It's going to take work. It's going to affect people around him. And he might get embarrassed. Because he still thinks, remember, this is a waste of time. Well, turns out it's not. Verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, if, if I can actually be slightly creative with this word for just a moment and challenge you guys just a little bit. You ever, you ever thought about like seeing someone that you would view as like, man, that person, they are a committed follower of Christ. And maybe you see fruit in their ministry. Maybe you just see, man, it just seems like they're always leading somebody to Jesus. Or it just seems like they're always all this kind of, you ever feel like you're always in the shallow water and they're always in the deep water? You ever feel like there's times in my life where I wish I could experience the deep water, where I could go out into those things and experience what Christ can do when I have no shot if he doesn't actually do the providing? Let me encourage you. It starts with saying, at your word, I will. That's where it starts, with saying, all right, I believe. At your word, I will. This seems like a bad idea. 
This doesn't seem like it's going to work, but I believe you're telling me to do this, and so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step out. That's where you find the deep water. That's where you find the provision of God. And you go, well, I would do that if he would tell me something. Oh, he's told you so much. We just don't always listen to it. Remember what I said? It starts with the word of God. When the word of God and the spirit of God come together, he will tell you something. The problem is we don't tend to make the transition. We stay with the first part. Wait, Jesus, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here's why that's a bad idea. I think I hear what you're saying, but there's information you're not aware of, so let me help you. Um, It's noon, the sun's high, full moon. We were out all night, didn't catch anything. This is sort of a waste of time. I hear what you're saying, but I think we need a different plan. That's where we tend to stay a lot of times. And it's called justification. I'm not going to do what God's telling me to do. And here's how I justify that because of this, 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 and this. But I'm just telling you, man, push out, obey, trust, risk it, do hard things, take chances for God. But when the Lord puts something on your heart to do, go to the deep water. Go see what he can do for you. Without question, go do. And then this is amazing. Take a look at this, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Okay, more fishing insight here. He just had the best catch of his life. Like their boats are sinking. That's not the reaction you would expect in the exuberant moments, exuberant, exuberant, happy moments when you just caught some amazing fish. Like that's not the reaction you would expect. The reaction you would expect is get the camera. All right, get right there. Make sure you get these sinking boats because no one's going to believe this. Do you got those in the background? And don't get too far out, man. Get, come on in here and get this. Here we go, Jesus. I got the fish right here. Smile. Maybe get an arm around so everybody knows it was you. Like that's what fishermen tend to do. We get kind of egotistical with our stuff. We get excited about all that kind of stuff. Peter's reaction, go away from me. That is a weird reaction in that moment, if you don't understand the context of that. He says, go away from me. And here's why. Think about what has happened. Here in this area, what has Peter seen? What has Peter already experienced? What's already happened revolving around Peter's world? He's heard teachings He's seen healings. He saw Jesus heal his own mother-in-law, which in all fairness could be a negative. I do understand that. But he saw all this stuff happen, but it hasn't clicked yet. It hasn't clicked yet. He's just a rabbi, a master. He's just, that's, that's all it is. And he still knows more than and all this stuff. But look, when Jesus comes into Peter's own area of expertise and says to him, hey, Peter, I'm Lord over this too. Everything changes. He's not just the guy you go to when your mom's sick. He's not just the guy you go to for some religious advice. Jesus is not just who we go to when tragedy hits or any of those kind of things. There is not an inch of our lives that Jesus is not Lord over. And in this moment, Peter realizes this is the Lord. He stops calling him master, starts calling him Lord. Because in that moment, Jesus has shown him, I'm Lord over this too. I know you think you're the expert. And you might know how to catch fish. But I made the fish. I control the fish. I designed the fish. Do you know why, Peter, they change based on the moon? I do. Do you know why they go to different places? Do you know how they exist? Do you know all these kind of things? I do. And even if you know all these things, can you make them bite? I can. And in that moment, he realizes this is not just a rabbi. This is not just a teacher. It's not just a really good doctor. This is the Lord of all. And his reaction to that is the same reaction you see throughout all the Old Testament. One of the things that Luke's always doing is pointing back to the Old Testament to show this is a continuation of what has always been talked about. And so what's in the Old Testament? When people have an encounter with God, what happens? Isaiah, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Abraham, I am ashes. 
Remember Moses and the elders, they go up to go before God and they're, if you will, before the throne of God, if you will, and they describe it, but they only describe the floor. It was like emeralds or topaz. I forget the jewel. Why did he just describe the floor? Because that's where his face was. That's all he saw. Disciples of Jesus who have encounters with Jesus hit their face before the feet of Jesus. That's a good place to start when we're thinking about these things. Remember the question, what, if anything, of this type of experience has actually happened to me? A really good place to start is have you bowed? Like, have you come to that place where you realize how shallow your pride really is? How little you actually know? How broken you are, how messed up we are, how sinful we are, but also how amazing he is, how powerful he is, how vast he is, and how good he is. In the scriptures, when people hit that moment, they went to their knees. So, have you ever bowed? It's a good place to start and to think about. Peter's reaction was very biblical, you might say. But, something to keep in mind, it's not the only reaction that was in the room. I mean, as far as we know, he's the only one that did this. At least in that moment, we at least don't have any other narrative to show that everyone else did this. And we know for a fact, everybody on the hill didn't follow him all the way to the end. So think about that. People were at the teachings, at the synagogues heard the miracles, saw the miracles, saw the fish get caught, saw all these different things, were impressed, followed him for seasons, but not everybody bowed. Not everybody made that transition to understanding who he really is and then were so humbled that they went to their knees before their Lord. Followers of Jesus bow. That idea of depart from me for I am sinful is the declaration of every follower of Jesus Christ. But here's the beauty of it. Look how Jesus responds to him. Verse 10, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I mean, think what's happening here. They're in the boat. This just happened. Peter realizes what's going on. What's Peter saying? Depart from me. I can't be in this boat with you. Like, we cannot even be in the same room together. I am not worthy of this. I am a sinful man. I can't be in this room with you. And he's filled even with fear. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. You can be in the presence of me because of my grace. Because I'm my Lord. This is the reality of conversion. That we realize how holy he is, how majestic he is, how weak and broken and messed up we are. But then we hear the grace of God speak into our lives and he says, Jeff, don't be afraid. You're right. You cannot be in the room with me based on your record. But you can based on mine. Peter, as fishermen go, you are not in my class. But you can stand here because of my grace. And then it moves beyond that. It moves beyond that. I want you to look, verse 10. So also there, James, John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. And then what are the next three words? Nice and loud. Say it again, really loud. From now on. Crossroads, intersection. But now things change. He has gone to his face before God. He understands the reality of who he's in front of. He is repenting and confessing his weakness and his brokenness. He's experiencing the grace of Christ who is saying, you can stand before me. And then there's the part where he says, and from now on, everything's different now. From now on, everything's different. He is Lord over all. From now on, I want to live for him. From now on, I want to honor him. From now on, it's not about my accomplishments, it's about his. From now on, every part of my life belongs to him. There's no more compartmentalizing. There's no more rooms he doesn't invade. There's no more things that I'm keeping to myself. From now on, it is all his. From now on. And we see this because Jesus himself says, from now on, you'll what? You will be catching men. The focus of your life, Peter, is no longer going to be just about fish. Now your fishing boat catches fish, but it's also a pulpit. Now you, in the workforce, 
You, you don't just work a job, you have a pulpit. That was his office, remember? Used as a pulpit, which is a great model for what we're all supposed to be doing. From now on, when you've encountered the grace, there's a mission that kicks in. There's a new set of values that kicks in. Everything changes. Your office is no longer just an office, but it's a place to make disciples, just as Jesus is doing in the fishing boat. This is what happens here. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Your office will become a place to bring life. Literally, it means to catch alive, to bring life to dying men is what he's saying. And look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything. I'm all in. No more compartmentalizing. No more none of this stuff. You're not just a healer. You're not just a teacher. You're not just a fisherman. You're Lord. We're in. Nothing else matters anymore except for you. That's the crossroad that the Spirit of God brought them to. And that's the crossroad that the Spirit of God brings every disciple, believer, follower of Jesus still to this day. He brings us to that point. And then the question is left to us. Are we going to push out and go to the deep waters or are we going to stay shallow? Are we going to keep splashing around in the kiddie pool? Or are we going to go experience the abundance of what it means to live a life that is dedicated to Christ and empowered by the Spirit of God? Because from Peter, everything changes from now on. To the point that down the road, he will give his life for the one who gave his life for him. He will preach a sermon and 3,000 people will be saved the first day. And within two days, the numbers of that church attendance are going to be up to 5,000. You're not, just a, you're not just a fisherman anymore, Peter. You're going to bring life into people. And it's not just the apostles that do that. It's through the church of God. He wants to do that through you, wherever you are. You go, man, I don't know. Because if I do this, if I give this up, man, I, don't wanna, I just don't want to just jump in and give up everything. That's really, really scary. But, but here's the thing. Not everyone who actually does this, who comes to this crossroads and by the power and spirit of God says, I'm all in. Not every one of you, I'm not expecting 400 emails tomorrow that say, okay, where do I go be missionaries? Like if that's what God's put on your heart, man, we are ready to walk that out and let's do this, man, for sure. But that's not what I expect. What I expect for most of you that God is calling you to do is go back to the office, go back to the workplace. Go back and coach the little league team. Go back to the neighborhood. Go to these places. And now Christ rules over all of it. So it's not just a boat. It's not just a pub. It's not just a soccer team. It's not just a workplace. They're all pulpits. And we start the cycle again with the word of God. Telling people about Jesus telling people about these things. And we get to experience this, but, but you cannot be a committed follower of Jesus Christ and still live your life in a way that's compartmentalizing it. A follower of Christ is sold out for him. Do you know that even the name Christian, you know where that came from? Some of you may not. It's in the book of Acts. I want to say chapter 12. I said that in the first service. I should have probably checked, so don't check on me. But in the book of Acts, the, the church, the followers of Jesus are named Christians, but not by Christians. Like they didn't get in the room and go, so what are we going to call ourselves? They didn't do that. They actually called themselves the way, which ties into the Old Testament passages in Isaiah, where John the Baptist would be the guy who says, prepare the way of the Lord. So they, even then they are tying themselves into the prophecies of God that have been around for a really long time. They never called themselves Christians. In Antioch, in a city in Antioch, people outside the church looking at them called them Christians. And the reason they were called Christians is because it was obvious to the people around them that these people held deep allegiance to Jesus. So their lives marked this for everyone else. That the one who led and ruled and controlled every aspect of their life was Jesus. And how great is it that it was the people outside the church were like, we've never seen this before? What are we going to call that? That's where the term Christian came from. This is what it means. It doesn't mean you're all going to go street evangelizing, but it does mean you're going to go back to the bank, the sales team, and all those kind of areas and turn those things into a pulpit for Christ. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to challenge us on this and push us on this because... It's holiday season. 
And uh, I had this weird experience recently. Um, I got to go or went to, um, to this cohort of Acts 29 pastors. It's the, like the 12 largest A29 churches on the West Coast. We're actually one of those. And so they created this cohort of the lead pastors of all those different churches to get together twice a year and just share ideas and all this kind of stuff. And they chose to do it in Vegas because one of the churches that, that uh, one of the involved churches is an Acts 29 church there. And because no matter where you live, it's cheap to fly to Vegas. Can't imagine why. And so um, that's where they did it. And so I went there and um, I, I'm there, I'm, I'm down at the hotel and I'm ready to go get my rental car to go to this church, but I can't get the rental car till two because I need to be able to turn it in at a certain time before I go back to the airport. So I'm trying to time that right for only two day rentals. You know what I mean? And so I'm sitting there at a Starbucks on the strip in Las Vegas in the middle of the daytime working on a school assignment, um, writing a paper about the humanity and divinity of Christ, the two-in-one, if you will, aspects of Christ's nature, which is a weird experience to do on the strip in Las Vegas. I'm imagining I was the only guy doing that on that entire road that day with all the thousands of people. But I remember sitting there, and, and I actually wrote this down at the time, just kind of thinking about it. I mean, you're thinking about Christ. How can you not? And I'm seeing all these people walking around, and I thought to myself, like, man, there's so many people right now walking around here that Jesus loves so much, but there's so few of them that have any idea. They just have no idea. They're just carrying on with life, carrying on their day, going on their vacation, gambling, looking for something, whatever it might be. They had no idea. But then you think about our valley. There's over 160,000 people in our valley alone that do not call on the name of Jesus Christ. So does that affect you? Maybe you think about that. All the holidays and the pageantry and everything from food baskets to all these different kind of things. There's 160,000 people out there that don't know Jesus. And they're not going to walk in here just on their own. They're going to find out about Jesus because people who take these passages seriously go back to work and go, I don't just have a job. I have a calling. This isn't just my office. This is my pulpit. I'm a preacher. That's how they're going to know. And otherwise, like apart from that, nothing else matters. Everything is a total waste of time if we don't come to that crossroad and understand who Jesus is. There was a guy just a couple weeks ago. Some of you guys, if you're older than a certain age, like you're going to, you know, um, David Cassidy. Is his name. So David Cassidy was Justin Bieber before there was Justin Bieber, essentially. I don't, I don't know how to break that down for you younger people, but um, he, he was the star of a TV show. Like, it's even a little bit before my time, but um, he's a star of a TV show, um, Partridge Family is the name of the show, right? Partridge Family. In the 70s, huge show. He's a musician, songwriter, all this kind of stuff. And literally, like, he was the heartthrob all the boys want to be him. All the girls want to be with him. Like that guy, right? Um, life didn't end as happy for him. Um, he had to quit doing his performances, probably on Vegas. I don't know. That's where they all kind of go, right? But um, he had to quit doing that this year um, because he had dementia. He couldn't remember the words of his songs anymore. Couldn't remember any of that kind of stuff. And so he stopped performing. And then he got liver and kidney failure. And so they, they felt like they were going to be able to keep him alive long enough to have a transplant. But sadly, they were not able to. And so on November 21st, just, what, two weeks ago or whatever, he, um, he passed away from, uh, I believe it was actual liver failure, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, liver failure that actually took his life. And three days later, his daughter tweeted something. Did you guys hear about this? Three days later, his daughter tweeted something heartbreaking. Will you guys throw this up real quick? This is her tweet on Twitter. Words cannot express the solace our family received from all the love and support during this trying time. My father's last words were, so much wasted time. Isn't that heartbreaking? Can you imagine laying on your deathbed, and the last thing, so much wasted time. And he had it all. Wasted time. Nothing matters apart from following Jesus. Nothing matters. So my challenges to you on this are twofold. Number one, 160,000 people are totally wasting their time right now. 
And they need to hear from you. I'm not going to get that pulpit with them, but you will. So how are you going to do that? That's scary. I might have to learn some things. It might take some work. I might get ridiculed. Yep. Deep water, though. Push out. And then the other thing I want to push on is for some of you is just to say, are you wasting your time? Have you come to that point? Are you still trying to play the game and swap hats around and, and play the Christian thing over here and play the life thing over here? Like, what, what is it that you're actually trying to do? Because nothing else matters. And the most heartbreaking thing in the world would be to realize that you lived this life, no matter how much money you made, no matter what you did, no matter what you accomplished, and that on your deathbed, you laid down, and whether you said the words or not, the last thing running through your head was so much wasted time. I assure you, you go all in with Christ, you push out into the deep water, I'll tell you that, I'll promise you this, it's going to be hard, it's going to be tough times, you're going to make sacrifices, a lot of them, but your last words will not be so much wasted time. They just won't. And the very next words you hear after whatever your last words happen to be are going to be, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our call, church. Amen? Amen? Will you stand with me and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the beauty in this passage. It's not just a simple call to follow, but we even see the gospel in it. This idea of our weakness and repentance, but your grace and provision and the abundance that you have for us. And so I pray, Lord, now, I beg of you, please, don't let this be just one of those sermons now that we go about our way. Father, please, may this be a word that produces fruit. I pray, Lord, that everyone here would chew on these things and do some heart work, Lord. I pray that there would be no one in here that has not made that decision to follow you. I pray, Lord, that every knee in this room should bow and confess that you are Lord now while there's still time. And then I pray, God, for courage for the people of Heritage Christian Fellowship. I pray for your spirit to lead. I pray for your word to speak. And I pray for deep water for everyone here. Lord, help us to carry this message all around us, Lord. Nothing else matters. Help us to understand the reality of the pulpits that you've given us and help us to be effective communicators of your word to the world around us. Thank you for everyone here, Lord. I love them. I know you love them infinitely more. May you preserve them and protect them and grow them. And may we be greater and greater examples of you in the world around us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hey, let me, let me just say, like, don't just now go to lunch and forget about all this stuff. Like, seek the Lord. He will speak to you. Open the word, pray, and go, all right, Lord, where, where am I supposed to go throw the nets? Where am I supposed to go? And trust him. Like, that is an abundant life. It's a risky one, it's a scary one, and it's a hard one, and it is a great one. I love you guys. God bless you. Have a great, great week.